Hello, this is Gary Hutchins with the Sunny Slope Church of Christ in Omaha, Nebraska. Welcome to our Sunday morning Bible class. Again, we're podcasting a Bible study every Sunday morning. At the, it, it is posted at the same time that the Sunny Slope Church of Christ meets for Sunday morning Bible classes right here in Omaha. 9.30 Central Time each Sunday morning. Now, we know that there are people who want to be in God's Word, but they cannot be with us in person at our Sunday morning Bible class uh, studies, and so we're thankful to have the opportunity to be able to teach God's Word through the medium of the internet and by means of these podcasts. We're thankful that you want to learn more of God's Word, that you want to be in God's Word, and we're thankful that we have the opportunity and the ability and the means to be able to teach you God's Word through the these podcasts. Now, if you're in the Omaha area, we encourage you to come and be with us in person. Our church building is located at 3606 North 108th Street, right here in Omaha, 3606 North 108th Street. Bible classes begin, as I said, at 9.30 Sunday morning, followed by worship at 10.30 Sunday evening. We come back together at 6 o'clock for another period of worship and Bible study. And then on Wednesday evenings at 6.30, we come back together for midweek Bible classes each Wednesday evening. So tell everybody you can. Take advantage of your opportunity to be with us. Also, share these studies with everybody you can through Facebook friends, text messages, and other technological means. You may help somebody turn their life around and grow in faith because faith comes by hearing the Word of God, Romans 10 and verse 17. And also tell everybody to go to our website at churchofchrist.com, churchofchrist.com. Click on the podcast button and sign up for our podcasting. It's free. It always will be free. We just want to help as many people as we can get to heaven. We're not after their wallets. When they sign up for our podcasting, they will receive our Sunday morning Bible class, our Wednesday night Bible class, all of our sermons, a Monday through Friday radio program, Search the Scriptures, and a daily short Bible study, about 13 or 14 minutes each day that we call today's Bible class. All of that will go automatically to their smart device, whichever one they choose, and it will always be free. So tell everybody you can. Now, we're going to get back into our study from the book of Judges. So we have gone through quite a number of the Old Testament books in succession leading up to this particular point. We've looked at Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, Joshua, and we're now somewhere around halfway through or so of the book of Judges. Now, again, Joshua basically followed the book of Deuteronomy. And we might say it followed the books of Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. But when we come to the end of Deuteronomy, the nation of Israel, well, the people of Israel, they had not yet taken the promised land. They had not yet become a geographic nation yet, but they were, they were the people that God raised up to be his people and ultimately to be the bloodline through which Jesus would come into the world in physical form. And so at the end of Deuteronomy, they're ready to cross the Jordan River and begin the conquest of the promised land, which would become Israel. And so that, that began when you picked up the book of Joshua. And so Joshua, being the leader of Israel at that time, he led them in battles, all kinds of battles. But again, every time that they were successful in battle, and that was every single time, basically, with the exception of 
of one when there was sin in the camp that needed to be taken care of, and that was against the small city of Ai. But then God sent, or, but then you know, as they took care of that, and they they you know uh, revealed who were who was guilty of that sin, and judgment was brought upon them by God. Then they went back and they they defeated you know the people the the warriors of the city of Ai. So basically, every battle was won by the Israelites up until the time that Joshua stepped aside as he got older and he became an older man. But God was the one who gave them the victories. Now, by the end of Joshua, the book of Joshua, they have pretty much subdued the land. It is theirs, and they made a mistake by allowing some peoples who had lived in that land before they began the conquest to remain. Now, those peoples were idol worshipers, and that was going to become a problem for the Israelites because over time, those idol-worshiping people would have a greater and greater influence upon the Israelite people and lead them into the worship of idols themselves. And then God would bring judgment upon Israel. And they would struggle with this reality for hundreds and hundreds of years until ultimately God would allow first, uh, first Assyria and then and then. Uh, Babylon to conquer the is the land of Israel and and literally depopulate the land and take them into captivity into foreign lands and while in that captivity the people of the tribes to the south Judah as they were called they would come to repentance and they would forever put away idolatry from their practice but that was going to be hundreds of years down the road so when we come to the book of Judges, the people within, it seems, within a generation or two after Joshua dies, and it really seems like it's within the next generation after Joshua dies and the elders who outlive Joshua, you can read that for yourself in, jo- in, Joshua, in Judges chapter 2, that the people, they've the children have been brought up by the parents and grandparents, and and it would seem by implication that they had not taught their children deeply enough about God. And so they became more and more idol-worshiping people themselves. And so now when we're reading through the book of Judges, it's kind of a seesaw, kind of a teeter-totter, kind of a merry-go-round. The people, they go into idolatry and worship of idols, become unfaithful to God largely, and then God brings enemies upon them, allows the enemies to conquer them, at least portions of the land of Israel, and and that's judgment from God. And then the people of Israel, they repent, and they, they seek God's forgiveness. And then he raises up a leader that is referred to as a judge within the book of Judges. No kings yet, basically, and then God blesses and guides that judge to lead them into victory over those conquering nations that have, that have uh, 
he put them under subjection. And this goes back and forth. And then the Israelites, they stay faithful for a period of time. Then they go back into the worship of idols. They become unfaithful. God allows another nation to take them, you know, to conquer them and put them in subjection. And then the people of Israel, they repent again and seek God's forgiveness. He raises another judge. The judge delivers them, leads them in battle, delivers them. But of course, it's God giving them the victory over that oppressive enemy. And so, and, and so again, back and forth. Now there's another period of faithfulness, then it's followed by another period of unfaithfulness, and it goes back and forth, up and down, round and round. It, it, it's what a cycle, what a cycle. But we can attribute that to a great extent to the fickleness of mankind, and we see that today. It's just as prevalent today. People, they will, something will happen in their life, they'll become they'll become repentant, they'll turn to God, and then things will get straightened out, and over a period of time, they become unfaithful to God, largely. And, you know, and then maybe they'll come back, you know, but, but it's over and over and over again, we see that kind of thing. Well, we pick up with chapter 14. We're in the, in the series of chapters that, is, that are bringing forth the story of Samson. Samson was real. He was a real man, and he was blessed by God with, I think we could say, supernatural strength. He was brought up under the Nazarite vow. He did not cut his hair. He was not to drink any wine, and but Samson really wavered. Samson had some problems. He was he was susceptible, allowed himself to be susceptible to temptation. So when we looked at at uh, chapter 14, we saw how Samson wanted a Philistine wife. Now, the Philistines had actually conquered at least a portion of Israel at that time, and where Samson lived was part of that, that area, and they had, they had put the people of Israel under subjection to them. And so Samson is being raised up by God as the next judge to deliver the people from the Philistines, at least to fight battles against the Philistines and, and, and kill many of them and so on, and bring the people to the point where they can throw off the Philistine bondage, which is basically what it was. Anyway, subjection. So in chapter 14, Samson told his parents, there's a Philistine woman I've taken a fancy to. I want her for my wife. Go make that happen. And while the parents tried to reason with him, you know, there's, there are a lot, of, a lot of Israelite women. Why do you want this Philistine, this enemy, this idol worshiper? I want her. Well, why? Because again, Samson had some problems. He had some physical and, 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 physical and, and uh, you know, emotional weaknesses. And so this was a pretty woman. She was a Philistine. Now, they were not supposed to be marrying Philistines, but he wanted her, and so he impressed upon his parents, go make it happen so I can have her. And so in chapter 14, we saw where that all blew up, basically. And Samson, there's a wedding feast going on. It's lasting for days. Samson taunts some of the Philistine men. Uh, and and gives them a you know a riddle. If you can solve this riddle, there's 30 of them. I'll give each of you a you know a new garment to wear, and it would be probably an, an expensive garment. Uh, and so they can't figure it out. It goes on for a few days, and finally, as time is running out, time limit that he's given them to solve the riddle, 
they, they, they pressure his wife-to-be to get the answer from Samson. And so Samson has this real weakness for women now, real weakness. And so ultimately he tells her, she tells them, because they threaten her and her father um, if, if she doesn't get them the answer to the riddle. And so they tell Samson. And Samson is really upset. He understands that they had gone behind his back and spoken to his wife-to-be. And so he, he says in verse 18, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. And so then in verses 19 and 20, the spirit of the Lord came upon Samson mightily, and he went out to Ashkelon and killed 30 of their men, that is 30 Philistines, took their, their apparel and gave the, char- the changes of clothing to those who had, ex- had explained the riddle. So his anger was aroused and he went back up to his father's house and Samson's wife was given to his companion who had been his best man. And so Samson did not marry the Philistine woman. He lost her. He lost his, we might say he lost his temper, but God, you know, came upon him mightily and God used that situation to actually bring some judgment upon the Philistines as Samson went out and, and slew, uh, you know, 30 Philistines and gave their garments to the 30 men that he, that supposedly, but they had done it by, by you know, cheating, solved his riddle. Now, we'll pick up with chapter 15 and look, you know, at the next section of the story of Samson here, and it's not very long. So we begin with verse 1. After a while, In the time of the wheat harvest, it happened that Samson visited his wife with a young goat. And he said, let me go into my wife, into her room. But her father would not permit him to go in. Her father said, I really thought that you thoroughly hated her. Therefore, I have given her to your companion. Is it not her younger sister? Is not her younger sister better than she? Please take her instead. Now, Samson somehow thinks, even though he's left the scene, somehow thinks that this is still his wife, but she's been given by her father to another man. And so she's not Samson's wife at this point. And so Samson wants to go in and be with her, but her father says, "Uh, no, 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 no. I thought you hated her. I gave her to another man. And Samson said to them, this time I shall be blameless regarding the Philistines if I harm them. Then Samson went and caught 300 foxes, and he took torches, turned the foxes tail to tail, and put a torch between each pair of tails. And this is intriguing. How in the world did Samson control those foxes and somehow bind them together, and between the tails of every two of them, he placed a torch? Now, he was going to let them go, and and we'll see what happens here. So, Verse 5, when he had set the torches on fire, he let the foxes go into the standing grain of the Philistines and burned up both the shocks and the standing grain, as well as the vineyards and olive groves. And so Samson used those foxes, and again, you know, he's bringing, from his perspective, maybe he's thinking justice or vengeance. But God is using Samson to bring judgment upon the Philistines. And so those foxes, he turns them loose, and they go through a bunch of the crops of the Philistines, and they burn them up, burn them up. 
Now, then the Philistines said, who has done this? And they answered, Samson, the son-in-law of the Timnite, because he has taken, because he has taken his wife and given her to his companion. And the Philistines came up and burned her and her father with fire. Now, we're left a little bit wondering here as to the customs of the day in that part of the country at that time. The scriptures refer to the woman as Samson's wife, but it would seem that that marriage had not yet been fully fulfilled, and so she's been given by her father to another man, and yet Samson is referred to as the son-in-law of her father. And so now the Philistines, they kill her and her father. So verse 7, Samson said to them, since you would do a thing like this, I will surely take vengeance on you, and after that I will cease. So he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Then he went down and dwelt in the cleft of the rock of Elam. And, and here we're seeing, again, the supernatural strength of Samson that God has blessed him with. He's able to, it would seem, by himself to slay a great multitude of the Philistines and maybe even Philistine soldiers, again, by himself. Notice, he attacked them hip and thigh with a great slaughter. Now the Philistines went up and went up, encamped in Judah and deployed themselves against Lehi. And the men of Judah said, why have you come up against us? So they answered, we have come up to arrest Samson to do to him as he has done to us. Then 3,000 men of Judah went down to the cleft of the rock in Elam and said to Samson, do you not know that the Philistines rule over us? What is this you have done to us? And he said to them, as they did to me, so I have done to them. Now, again, these 3,000 men of Judah, that's a pretty significant number, isn't it? they have acquiesced to the subjection that the Philistines have put them under. You know, 3,000 of them, and yet they tell Samson, why have you done this to us? Don't you know they rule over us? Well, Samson says, uh, again, uh, as they have done to me, so I have done to them. Verse 12, but they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. So they're going to take Samson, this judge raised up by God as a something of a leader, although, you know, from a spiritual perspective, I think we would conclude he was a pretty shaky leader, but yet God has blessed him with this supernatural strength, and so he has brought judgment upon the Philistines because they have put the Israelites under, at least a portion of the Israelites, under their subjection. And so here are these uh, men of Judah, 3,000 of them. They, they want to take Samson into custody and turn him over to the Philistines so that the Philistines will leave them alone. So verse 12 again, they said to him, we have come down to arrest you that we may deliver you into the hand of the Philistines. Then Samson said to them, swear to me, that you will not kill me yourselves. 
Now, he's, he's talking to them about allowing them to take him into custody. But he says, swear to me that you'll not kill me. So they spoke to him saying, no, but we will tie you securely and deliver you into their hand, but we will surely not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes and brought him up from the rock. So they're going to take him into custody. They did take him into custody. They bound him with two new ropes, and, uh, but they said, no, we're not going to execute you ourselves. We're going to turn you over to the Philistines. Verse 14, when he came to Lehi, the Philistines came shouting against him. Then the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him. And the, rope, the ropes that were on his arms became like flax that is burned with fire, and his bonds broke loose from his hands. So how would we compare that description? We might say those two new ropes that those Israelite men bound him with, thinking they would secure him, they became like what, threads? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he just broke them off. All right. Verse 15, he found a fresh jawbone, found a fresh jawbone of a donkey, reached out his hand and took it and killed a thousand men with it. A thousand men, a thousand Philistine soldiers. Now imagine that. With the jawbone, the skeletal jawbone of a donkey that apparently had died and the birds had picked clean and his physical, his flesh had decayed, Samson picks up the jawbone, and that's his weapon against a thousand, well, he kills a thousand Philistine soldiers. Then Samson said, with the jawbone of a donkey, heaps upon heaps, with the jawbone of a donkey, I have slain a thousand men. Now, these would be soldiers trained. Undoubtedly, they would have shields, swords, spears, and yet Samson, there, unprotected with the shield, I think we can understand, but simply with a skeletal jawbone in his hand, he slays a thousand Philistine soldiers. And so it was when he had finished speaking that he drew the jawbone from his hand, he threw the jawbone from his hand, and called that place Ramah Lehi. Then he became very thirsty, so he cried out to the Lord and said, you have, given, you have given this great deliverance by the hand of your servant. And now shall I die of thirst and fall into the hand of the uncircumcised? So God split the hollow place that is in Lehi, and water came out, and he drank, and his spirit returned, and he revived. Therefore he called its name En-Hakore, which is in Lehi to this day. And he judged Israel 20 years in the days of the Philistines. So Samuel was a judge. Now, we're not finished with the story of Samuel. The next chapter brings who had become his nemesis into the picture, and that's Delilah. We'll pick up there in chapter 16 next time. We need to learn from the account of Samson He was far from perfect as a judge. He was far from perfect as a man, and certainly far from perfect as a follower of God. But God could still use him 
could still use him to deliver his people from the hands of the oppressors. So when we think, I've been too bad to be good, I've done such terrible things that God surely would not forgive me. God could use Samson. God could use Saul of Tarsus, who hunted down Christians. And God could use him to the point that he became a divinely appointed apostle of Jesus Christ. God can use you if you'll let him. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you so much for blessing us so much in so many ways. Thank you, Father, for all your blessings. Help us, follow, Father, to learn from the examples you have laid out for us in your scriptures to see that we can be forgiven and we can serve you even if, even if we are handicapped in some ways. We can still bring you glory by serving you in the ways that we can do. But help us always, Father, to, to be on guard against all of the wiles of the devil. And you have promised that you will not let us be overtaken by any temptation that is too powerful for us to bear. You'll always make the way of escape that we can say no. Help us to take courage in that promise, Father. Please, please forgive us and hear our prayer. In Jesus' name, amen.